3: I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a work market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. do to my friends, I'm just trying to save you some money. My job is not just to educate, but to teach and entertain. So call me at 1 800 743 CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. First, we're told that crypto. Is the great store of value that can save us from money printing central banks and craven politicians. Oh, then we hear that it's the best hedge against falling stock prices. But it turns out crypto doesn't hedge you against anything at all. They know nothing! As bad as stocks have been, and they've been real bad, including today, the Dow lost 254 points, S&P declined 0.88%, and the Nasdaq shed 1.33%, capping off the worst first half since 1970. Believe it or not, (laughs) crypto's been even worse. It leads the stock market down, too. It turns out to be it's the proverbial tail that wags the dog. Now, I know miserable stock owners love company. But this crypto decline is the mother of all miseries. And I think it's a fitting coda to a horrendous quarter that cryptocurrencies of all kinds are still cascading with no real bottom in sight. I'm picking crypto to start tonight. You know, I usually don't do that because it's the opposite of a stable storehold of value, as its promoters always claimed. And for a time, I believed. Instead, cryptocurrency is the last bastion of rampant speculation, something that the Federal Reserve is trying to wipe out in order to tame inflation. We know that last November, the Fed declared war against anything that causes inflation. They stepped up their campaign, but we've still got lots of inflation out there. We have wage inflation, retail inflation, commodity inflation, housing inflation, transportation inflation, and, of course, financial inflation, also known as speculation. With the obvious slowdown in the economy, one that is the Atlanta Fed coming out just today and saying that we're likely already in a recession, I think the Fed is now starting to make real progress in its fight against inflation, and I salute them. Housing prices seem to be peaking thanks to rapidly rising mortgage rates. We can tell that from all the talk we're hearing from anyone who's involved in lending or mortgage applications. No, home prices haven't gone down yet, yet, year over year, but there are longstanding predictive patterns in housing. First, as interest rates go down, buying a home becomes increasingly attractive versus renting or living with your parents. Then as prices go higher, houses become more coveted. They seem like great investments, and they soar in value. Once the Fed starts tightening, though, the cost of borrowing money becomes prohibitive. But homebuilders keep building. They don't stop, even as the buyers start to hesitate and walk away. By the way, the housing supply we now know is up 19%. Eventually, the home builders start cutting prices to attract customers in the face of high mortgage rates, which makes homes feel like a bad investment. And then the down cycle begins. Based on the history, I think we're about three months away from that down cycle. Point. Three months at most, m- maybe before then. So we're going to say that the Fed is winning housing inflation. Meanwhile, I think this past quarter will go down as the start of one of the greatest retail merchandise gluts of all time. We're talking about whether it's be at the mall, think of Gap or American Eagle, or the large strips of Walmart and Target. Now it seems it's the excess inventories at both Bed Bath & Beyond and RH, old restoration hardware. While Amazon doesn't really have inventory, it does have warehouses. And it turns out it's got way too many of them. Don't even get me started on the other online retailers. Most are now too small for me to mention. They used to be multi-billion dollar companies. I'd say retail inflation disappeared this month, replaced by gluts of practice everything that you need. So we're going to say the Fed has won that war. How about commodity inflation? Now, we've seen a stunning collapse in commodity prices this quarter. From copper, by worst month and quarter since 2011, to nickel, worst quarter on record through 2005, to natural gas, down 33% this month, to crashes in lumber and aluminum, and steep declines in cotton and silver and so many others. Even the grains are going down. It's like a bonfire of capital. Only oil remains somewhat elevated, and that's just because of Russia's invasion of Ukraine it messed up the global supply situation. But both oil and gas came down hard today. The latter is now down 15 percent. Given that Russia is now pumping more uh, than ever, I wonder how long oil can even stay higher. I still like, I still like some of the stocks, but if you can sell oil to, the, to India and China instead of the West, well, they're going to be happy to buy it. The sanctions on Russian oil haven't taken crude out of production, actually They've created a supply chain problem and maybe an increase from Russia. So I am going to say that commodities have gotten under control. Not all of them, but almost every one. Next up, freight costs. They're still high, but they peaked a couple quarters ago as more drivers came online and demand for freight cools. General Mills identified yesterday that supply chain issues are now pretty much behind them. Well, they manageable. Other operators not as as good as mills may find themselves in the exact same enviable situation. I'm saying that the Fed has finally gotten transportation inflation under control. Now, we don't have wage inflation under control. That's the problem. We do not have that under control, in part because immigration remains way down from where it was before Trump's crackdown. It still happens, but not nearly the numbers we used to have. Wherever you stand on immigration, the fact is we have a labor shortage and more people would solve the problem. Of course, wage inflation is tricky because who doesn't want to be paid more? I would love wage inflation if we could get it in a vacuum. Bad for business, but worth the trade-off. Problem is, we don't live in a vacuum. The Fed's not going to stop slamming the brakes on the economy until wage inflation goes away. So unfortunately, we actually really have to root against the job market. And J-PAL's not winning this war yet. 5% unemployment, here we come. This is the battleground. But there is one front in the war on inflation that's been a- Outstanding total victory for the Fed, and that's the battle against financial speculation. It started last year when we saw the endless procession of those blank check companies run out of dumb money to sell themselves to. Yes, there are some good ones. I got Gary Cohn on later. It's an interesting one. But over the long haul, the SPACs were a disaster. You you don't see them anymore. In many cases, frankly, it would have been better to invest in Arctic real estate, saving some cash to build a fire, Jack London style. Jack London still holds up. I I would not say that otherwise. Uh, That's how bad some of these SPACs were. Then there were the IPO cons. All sorts of companies came public that every sophisticated money manager knew were wildly overvalued. But because the sophisticated guys actually had invested in them early, they, they were happy to blow them out at any price to you. I did my best to protect you, I'm not that good. In the meantime, a whole new group of investors weren't weren't price sensitive. They just liked the name or the brand or the color. Who knows? All I do know is that they borrowed money to buy the stuff, and this was the quarter that they got blown out. So uh, they're gone. Finally, there was the world of crypto and NFTs, this glorious, fun-loving universe of something too sophisticated For almost anyone to understand, just because I'm a gardener, like tulips, man, they're like impossible. Every time you question the owners, they just told you, blockchain, blockchain's a work of genius. So shut up. There was no better example of free money than Bitcoin itself, a a currency that people bought because it went higher. I mean, that was the reason, wasn't it? When you attempted to pierce that veil, which included the right to own a token of nothing, something that can't be used maybe even in a subway, you got a lot of genuine crypto gibberish. Now, not only have the prices of these various schemes crashed, but the biggest worry is, centered when you getting your money back when you try to pull it out of one of these various crypto repositories. And you ought to be thinking about, especially if you've got money and you're getting an outrageous yield, let me tell you something. It ain't outrageous. It's gone. Far higher interest rate than any other instrument. Take it out. You heard what Chairman Gensler said. Get it out. It's a huge red flag when you find a crypto bank that gives you an above market interest rate on your money. Know that you're also taking an above market level of risk. You are reaching for yield and only morons reach for yield. With the immolation of crypto, the Fed's job is almost complete, but they don't seem to know it yet. They're just gearing up to throw people out of work to make it clear that inflation is a thing of the past. Wage inflation does have to be stopped and we aren't going to get a sensible immigration policy to do so. So it will be done the hard way. Let's hope for one more big hike, sell those bonds, and let's see what happens. So here's the bottom line. The stock market now reflects a lot of the bad news, just like all these other forms of inflation that the Fed has won on. But the Fed's still dismantling the good, and they'll keep doing it until the unemployment rate starts to to surge, which I suspect will happen after one large, maybe 100 basis point rate hike. But financial speculation, IPOs, SPACs, crypto, the first half has taken the air out of all those balloons Fed did its job in our markets. Now let's have the good stuff, the non speculative stuff rally in the second half of the year. Let's go to Brian in California, please. Brian. Big booyah to
4: you, Jimbo. First time caller, long time listener.
3: Jimmy Chill says Booyah, right back at you.
4: All right. All right. This stock is one of our family favorites. We use it all the time, but it's
3: been down roughly 50% since the start of the year. Wanted to get your take on a buy and long-term hold for Airbnb. I'm glad you said long-term hold. So here's the problem with Airbnb. It was part of a cohort of companies that came out of the chute valued at far more than they should have. Had this company, I'm not kidding. I've, I've, I've been thinking so much about this. Had Airbnb come public, you'll like this. Had it come public at 86, I think it would be at about 150. But because it went all the way up to 212, now it's at 89, and I don't know if it's done going down. But I do think longer term, it is game set match for that industry, so I like it. All right? The stock market now reflects a lot of bad news, but the Fed has to dismantle still more because after all of what they've done, they still have not conquered wage inflation. And I think they're gonna keep trying to do that until unemployment surges, and then they're done. And we go back again to having a good market. All May Bunny tonight. Constellation Brands reported a strong quarter this morning. But Wall Street seemed to look the other way. I'm breaking down the quarter and what drove the company's real strength. Because that's an industry I know with the top brass. Then, with commodity prices coming down, is it time to turn into packaged food stocks? Remember then? I'm digging in the sector. Then several high-profile semi executives urging Congress to pass the CHIPS Act. Tonight, I'm talking to Gary Cohn, vice chairman of IBM, and a former National Economic Council advisor to get his take. I want you to stay with Kramer.
5: Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question?
0: Uh, what in the world
3: did Constellation Brands do wrong here? Yeah, the beer, wine, and liquor company best known for Corona, Modelo, Pacifico, reported a very good set of results this morning. Yet its stock tumbled more than four percent. Constellation delivered a 14 cent earnings beat off of a two dollar 52 cent basis, higher than expected, higher than expected uh, costs, but much higher than expected sales. That's because of the tremendous strength in their beer business. But here's the rub. Management merely reiterated their full-year forecast. They didn't raise numbers. And when you do that, after you're beating the earnings estimates, this merciless market treats it like a guide down. Uh, perhaps more important, Constellation announced has to deal with the Sands family, its largest shareholder, to swap their Class B shares for regular common stock. While that will simplify the ownership structure, it also increases the share count by 14%. Plus, these guys own a major stake in canopy growth cannabis business. And they're buying more at a very low price, but that caused canopy stock to plunge more than 18% today. Constellation already owns a chunk of it, so that hurts too. The question is, can we just asterisk these negatives, please, and focus on the very strong core business, or is that just too hard in such a difficult market? Let's check in with Bill Newlands, the president and CEO of Constellation Brands, to get a better read on the situation. Mr. Newlands, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks, Jim. Good to be here. All right, so Bill, I struggle here because there isn't a food a beer, an alcohol, consumer packaged goods company that has your growth. And yet suddenly it didn't matter because you bought out a family and because people felt that costs were up just slightly. Can you please work us through why we should be more focused on the sales aspect than we should on what happened with the Sands family? I think you should
1: be very excited about uh, our depletion rate for the first quarter. As you know, Jim, I'm a big believer in delivering what you promise, and we delivered a very strong quarter with depletions, particularly in our beer business, up almost nine percent. When you look at when you look at the future potential of that business, we have a lot of areas of strength, and I think it's important to look at that against depletions. Uh, The depletion scenario uh, is continuing to to look very solid in that business, and I think. Investors need to be very focused on that. Admittedly, we're only one quarter in. I think it's always dangerous uh, to overpromise too early in the year when you're in a in an area of unprecedented volatility. Uh, but we're very confident and we're very comfortable uh, with the start that we had to our year.
3: Now, I-, I totally agree with you, and I know your business very very well. Uh, there were some some elevation of costs, but I could argue that actually we're seeing some of those costs peak. Aluminum's come down a lot. Uh, there are people who believe that, uh, that that glass could be peaking. I mean, it's entirely possible that the raw costs that have spiked here could get under control, let's say, some point in the second half. Am I too uh, optimistic? I don't think you are. And in fact, we're
1: heavily hedged. We're hedged significantly more than we usually are because we're trying to drive some of that volatility out of the market. And we are seeing certain commodities improving, aluminum being one of them. So we do think that as the year goes on, we're hopeful. We're hopeful that you're going to see a little bit more of a balancing act than than sort of what we've been looking at for the last several months with with great volatility.
3: Now, the fact is, uh, there's a direct to consumer business that you talked about that I think people weren't ready for that is so good uh, that it's worth putting money into. But it seems like the street didn't understand that you even had it going. I, well, what went on there? Because I know that business, and it's a great business, DTC. The street seemed to think that it was going to cost too much.
1: Well, the DTC business is up four and a half times versus what it was pre pandemic. Uh, and we're beating the marketplace by more than 3.5 points in the quarter. So we think this is very related to, to what you see in many other consumer sectors where consumers are buying much more and having it delivered to their door. We're investing behind the capabilities both in talent and technology to make sure we're going to be a winner in that space because we don't think that's going to change a lot going forward.
3: No, that space is just that space is going, It's going through the roof, frankly. And yet the street just seems to be so high bound. Now, another thing that was, I will admit, is hard to understand because, uh, you know, I know Rob Sands pretty well. I know the Sands family. It, it, I didn't quite understand why. Uh, I thought you got, got them. The, a, cl- a class two structure tends to be not advantageous. I thought you got the Sands family a good deal, but a really great deal for shareholders. People, again, seem to think that, that, was, that somehow you got ripped off by the Sands family. I don't think that's the case. I, I don't think it is either.
1: If, if you look at the deal that was struck, Uh, Yes, it was a 26 percent premium. However, uh, that is lower than precedent transactions. And we also, with the Sands both retiring, we are saving between 15 and 20 million dollars annually in terms of salary and benefits. If you run that with our P.E. ratio, that's roughly a 300 million dollar benefit to the organization. And if you if you net that against what they will receive, that puts the premium in the low 20s. Uh I think personally it's it's a very good scenario, and with the government's governance cleanup that occurred as part of it as well, we're well positioned to be a much more traditional company going forward, and I think that's in the interest of all shareholders.
3: yeah, I totally agree with you uh I know where time is limited. I can talk to you for an hour about this, but you know look, I know when you have when you have Pacifico when you have madelo with Corona, it almost makes sense not to even think about anything else but Bill. You, have a, you know you have an unbelievable tequila business. Tequila is the fastest growing spirit in the world. Why can't you decide, you know what, Casanoble, we are going to make you number one? Because it could be number one.
1: We have seen great success both with Casanoble and Mecampo. Our, our craft spirit side of the business was up 39% in depletions in the quarter. So you're right. The tequila business is hot. And we're playing against it. As you know, we repackaged Casanova recently, and we think it's it's a remarkably good step up. Uh, And we're very optimistic about what tequila and frankly, all of our craft spirits businesses are going to do going forward.
3: Oh, good. Okay, because, you know, I I just know that when you have a gem like like Casanova, if you have enough money to put toward that, I mean, you can be a dominant player. Anyway, look, Bill, we got to run. I feel terribly we didn't get to speak to about the cannabis, but we'll do that next time. Bill Newlands, the president and CEO of Constellation Brands. Thank you, Bill, for coming on. Appreciate it.
1: Thanks, Jim. Appreciate having us. Yep.
3: Guys, look, I, I can tell you, it's a bear market. We know that. I can tell you all day long about why this good quarter, and you probably don't care. But you know what? We're not always going to be in a bear market. That's why my my trust owns it because I know that one day we'll be out of this bear market. Mail money's back in
5: Coming up, hope you brought your appetite. Kramer cooks up a shopping list of food stocks, and you'll want seconds next.
2: The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.
0: Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business.
3: when Wall Street's worried about a slowdown, like we have now, money managers buy the packaged food stocks hand over fist because they're textbook recession-proof plays. But this is not a normal slowdown. Thanks to rampant inflation from sky-high raw materials costs to the extortionate cost of freight and much higher wages, many of these classic recession-proof companies are being eaten alive, even if I think that some of those inflationary issues are in the past. <clears throat> even if their demand remains consistent because everybody needs to eat, The costs are up big year over year, and that's why the stocks have performed much worse than you might have expected at this point, at least for the seven months we've been through. Uh, But that calculus might be changing. First, commodity prices have already begun to collapse, and those savings flow right to the bottom line, especially if you've raised prices. Oh, you think the prices come down? Second, nearly everybody seems convinced that we're heading to a recession. And while I'm not totally convinced, that creates a much better backdrop for the steady-eddy packaged food stocks. Third and most important over the last few weeks, we've gotten some big updates from the major players in the industry. And while it hasn't all been good news, we know that some of these companies are starting to do very, very well. Let's take them one by one, because the packaged food space is absolutely worth hiding in or investing in, if you want to call it that, at this point in the business cycle. But you have to be selective about picking the best ones. So why don't we start, and these are ones I'm considering for the charitable Trust, maybe bullpen, find out when we have our monthly meeting next month. We're going to start with Campbell's Soup, okay? Uh, now, th- this is much, the company's much more than just this, all right? They make Goldfish, Pepperidge Farm, Snyder's of, of Hanover, very good. Cape Cod and Kettle Chips, we use them. Milano Cookies, who doesn't like those? Spaghettios, Pass, but much more. Here's a company that's been struggling with supply chain disruptions. When Campbell's Soup reported in March, the numbers were not so hot. Stock got obliterated. Although it swiftly rebounded from those levels and it kept charging higher. Along the way, multiple analysts slapped this thing, uh, uh, you know, with downgrades, price cuts, target cuts galore. But it's like it didn't matter. It didn't matter. That's a good sign. Maybe the buyers do something. Because when Campbell's Soup reported again a few weeks ago, they had turned in a much better than expected set of numbers. Big top and bottom line beat 37% earnings growth. More important, organic sales were up 9%. Wall Street was only looking for a 3% increase. This was the first very positive organic growth result in five quarters. How'd they do it? Campbell's Soup said they continue to see sustained demand for their brands, but what's changed is they've sorted out their supply chain problems, raised higher prices to pass the higher consumer, and they're just doing a better job of making stuff. They, it's gotten, I knew that, that, I knew the class would get it together. It's good. Management raised their full year forecast a bit. The outlook still seemed a little cautious to me. In response, the stock rallied a bit, but then quickly gave up the gains. The market got hit with another indiscriminate sell-off like we're getting used to, right? In the last couple of weeks, though, commodity prices have come down big, and Campbell's Soup stock has gotten its mojo back. Doesn't hurt that it pays you a 3% yield. This is not my favorite food play, but I haven't felt so good about Campbell's Soup in a very, very long time. What is my favorite? Well, the best stories in the industry happen to be Kellogg and General Mills. Last Monday, Kellogg announced a plan to break itself up into three separate businesses, a global snack food play, a North American cereal play, and a smaller plant-based foods business anchored by Morningstar Farms. The market lapped it up. Yes, stock was up nearly 6% since the announcement, largely because the underlying business is actually pretty good. When Kellogg's reported in early May, the numbers were excellent. Their snack division in particular is terrific, and I think it would be worth a lot more as an independent company that's not hostage to the much slower-growth North American cereal business. Plus, we don't have many good pure plays on snack food. I like it scarcity value. Look, Frito-Lay belongs to PepsiCo, right? Campbell's soup snack business is joined at the hip to the can business. It's really Hershey, Utz brands, arguably Modelies, of course, the Kellogg breakup will take some time, but for now, I like the stock here. It sells it 17 times, and it's got a 3.25% yield. Now, how about this one, the start of the show, General Mills? Yesterday, Mills reported a blowout quarter. These guys have been the best of breed operator in the packaged foods space for several years now. Hershey's not I mean, Hershey's really doing well. While other players have struggled, this company has been on the march steadily higher since 2018. Now, that's in part because General Mills has made some very smart moves with its portfolio. Uh, like buying a much panned acquisition not that long ago, Blue Buffalo, because I had the big equity offering to pay for it. That's the high-end pet food brand that my mongrel rescue dogs have confided in me is really good. Spoiled brats, I say. Their whole strategy is paying off them. No, not my dog strategy. The, the company's strategy is paying off now. As the company just delivered an excellent top and bottom line beat, jaw-dropping 13% organic growth. That's not something you expect to see from a packaged food company. Mills is on fire here thanks to Pet Food and also has a food service segment, which is really doing well. They're giving you the growth that I expect from a pharma company. On top of that, these guys gave you terrific guidance for the next fiscal year. Management sounded very confident on the conference call. While they pointed to supply chain problems and cost inflation, they also explained how they've been able to quickly solve those problems by improving efficiency is selectively raising prices. And believe it or not, they are saying these things, the real bad supply problems in the past. And that's why General Mills jumped more than 6% yesterday. And get this. It was the only stock in the S&P 500 that traded to a new all times high today. There are 500 stocks in the S&P 500. What a bear market. We're in. Honestly, though, even a, I did that S&P joke because sometimes people say how many stocks in the S&P 500 To a Pretty obvious it's 500. Anyway, honestly, even a here, generous mills, as we used to call them, the trading desk, barely trades at a premium to the S&P 500. I think it's worth buying here, but you might want to leave some room to buy more the next time we get a market-wide pullback, because in another week, people forget how great this quarter was. Oh, look at this. These can help lower cholesterol. These must be—these are—maybe these are, they're better than um, Lipitor. Of course, not everybody in the industry is thriving. McCormick, the spice company, one of my absolute favorites. Nah, nah, bad numbers yesterday. Not only did McCormick post a very big top and bottom line miss... They also cut their full-year earnings forecast. Now, these guys have, have both a consumer business and a food service business that mostly targets restaurants. It's the consumer business killing them out. It's down 5% year-over-year. Year. They took a big hit in Europe and Asia, some of which had to do with the war in Ukraine and the lockdowns in China. I'm going to give them that. I'm going to say that they're going to get over that. At the same time, it feels like they're being overwhelmed by cost inflation. It was really not a good quarter. On top of that, there was one line on yesterday's conference call that really hit hard. Uh, CEO Lawrence Curtis, you know, friend of the show, said they put through a second wave of price hikes and they're beginning to see more price elasticity. That's economics peak, meaning they're getting more pushback from consumers. Bad news for McCormick, especially because they're now pushing through a third round of price hikes. But it's good news if you're worried about inflation. In response, the stock dropped 1.4 percent yesterday and another 2.8 percent today. People digested that price elasticity comment. Still, even after this decline, McCormick's still at 27 times earnings, so it's expensive, very expensive for a food company that missed the numbers, especially when you have this one and this one for much lower price earnings multiples. Regular viewers know I've been a big fan of McCormick for a very long time. Historically, the company's done very well, but I can't endorse it until they've proven, proven they've gotten things under control. For now, you simply have much better options in the packaged food space, and it's two that I have not talked about in a long time. The bottom line, with commodity costs coming down big, the food stock's can become recession-proof safe havens, but you have to be selective, which means sticking with the winners that we know are doing well, Campbell Soup, or even better, Kellogg, and my favorite, Generous Mills. Let's go to Philip in Washington, please. Philip. Hey, Kramer. What's up, Philip?
1: Hey, I just want to uh, thank you for taking my call. I'm just uh, very excited right now. I'm just calling about Kroger. I'm a, a new um, investor, and I'm looking. I have a lot of stakes in Kroger, and I'm just thinking about their dividend yield, whether I should
3: um, stay for the long term or turn this around and put it into a higher dividend and play some defense and variety. Well, I would. I, I like Kroger. They've done a very good job. They've turned around entirely. I endorse buying Kroger. It's also a big position of Warren Buffett. They've done a very good job. I think they're in good shape with Kroger. All right, look. As commodity costs came down, as I said at the top of the show, I think that some food stocks are worth buying. But you have to be selective and stick with winners. Winners like Campbell's Soup, Kellogg, or best of all, General Mills. There's much more made money in, including my exclusive with the former National Economic Council Director, current IBM Vice Chairman Gary Cohn. After finding out that Senator McConnell's threatened to block the Chips Act, I'm discussing how a lack of federal action could hurt a host of industries and make us into a, uh, let's say, a more dangerous place, then what captures the zeitgeist of this market? It's a tough question, but I'm gonna to attempt to answer. And then, of course, all your calls rapid fire nice tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. I'm at this now, this is my 18th year, and I I am not political in any way, shape or form. But I am on a mission, and it's a mission to convince Congress to pass the CHIPS Act, the semiconductor bill that's actually passed both chambers of Congress, but in different forms, is now stuck in limbo as legislators try to reconcile the House's version with the Senate's. As we discussed with Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo on Monday, we need this bill to revive domestic semiconductor manufacturing, something that's essential for solving the chip shortage that's been weighing us down for the last year and a half. But I don't have a vote in Congress. I only have a show on basic cable. So all I can do is highlight what's happening and try to apply pressure. After hearing from the Biden administration uh, tonight, we're taking a different tack. Now we've got to hear from the business community. There's also a defense aspect to this that we can talk about. Joining us now is Gary Cohen. He's the longtime Goldman Sachs executive who left the bank to serve as President Trump's director of the National Economic Council. He's now back in private sector, serving as vice chairman of IBM and co-chairman of Cohn-Roberts Holdings. That's a SPAC I know the Robbins family well. That's trying to bring a European lottery operator public. So on top of that, he's also been the leading voice arguing in favor of the semiconductor bill. And I've got to tell you, like I said, I'm passionate about it. And someone like Mr. Cohn can really help us. You know, Gary, welcome back to Mad Money. Great to see you. Jim,
4: thank you very much for having me. And I share your passion. and I'm excited to talk about this really crucial topic.
3: Gary, I think there's a chance that it doesn't happen. I mean, Secretary Armando said that if we don't get this done bef- bef- before Labor Day, it may not happen. Gary, can you please explain to people that not forget about the jobs? We'll go back to in a second. But that how close Taiwan is to the People's Republic of China and what could happen if somehow we lose Taiwan?
4: Yeah, look, Jim, you, you're, you're going right to the heart of the issue. The heart of the issue is the United States has a supply chain issue in semiconductors. You know, we have gone from being able to produce about 37 percent of our own semiconductors to now we're 12 percent and we're doubling demand over the next 10 or 11 years. We're going to be down to six percent self-sufficient. So you think of the places where we have to get these semiconductors. You're right. The most sophisticated semiconductors that we need today that are crucial to our national defense, our military industrial complex, as well as our everyday objects that we use, cars, the appliances we use you know, manufacturing, farm equipment, it all has these sophisticated chips in it. If something happens in Taiwan, we are in trouble. If we didn't learn anything else in the whole pandemic, we learned how crucial the supply chain is. And we've learned how crucial the chip supply chain really is. We've got to figure out how to redomesticate this supply
3: chain. Now, Gary, uh, I think that the Defense Department hasn't really done its job on this. Gary, you know that without the Taiwan semi-chips, it's very possible that the ships can't be built, the tanks can't be built, or, or they could be built with defective chips. I mean, this to me is a national emergency. I know that the secretary said, speak to Gary. He really understands. And I want to give you the floor to explain that if we don't do this, we should even be worried about the various arms of our military.
4: Well, Jim, Jim, let's start with the Javelin missile. You know, the Javelin missile, missile is probably the most crucial piece of military equipment that the Ukrainian army is using today to defend themselves against tanks. Lockheed is building that Javelin missile. That missile itself needs 209 semiconductors to be built. Think about that. That one missile. We keep shipping these missiles to the Ukraine. We need to replenish our own stockpile on top of the fact that we need to continue to send more of these missiles to Europe. You know, the administration this week, while they were at the NATO meeting, pledged to refortify the military of NATO and send more equipment to Europe. We're, we're going to send this equipment. We're not going to have enough equipment without these semiconductors. Think about our communication systems in the military. Think about our communication systems domestically. All of our communication systems are based on semiconductors and sophisticated semiconductors. Think about our Air Force, our Air Force, every plane, the F-35. The F-35 is basically a flying semiconductor. Jim, you know as well as I do the basic car today, a basic car, not a sophisticated high-end car, a basic car in the United States today has over 200 chips inside of it. We need to have chips in the United States. We cannot be at the risk of having countries cut us off and and really curtail our, our supply of something that is this crucial.
3: OK, so, Gary, I've been here for a long time. I think people need to know you and I are talking about this. You worked in, in government. You're working in industry. You're not being paid by anybody to, to fight for this thing. This is just something
4: you're doing because you're an American. Yeah, look, the, Jim, this is our survival. You know, we have to realize, as I said, we saw this. We saw how crucial some items are in the supply chain during the pandemic. And, and, and we're clearly seeing how crucial chips are today. You know, we've seen it in the price of, of, of automobiles. We saw used car prices run up because we couldn't manufacture new cars. We couldn't manufacture new cars because we didn't have chips. We can't rebuild military equipment because we don't have chips. Go even more basic. We saw prices of appliances and the availability of appliances down to a basic dishwasher. We have dishwashers on back orders for a year in this country. Why? Because we don't have semiconductors to build these basic appliances. It seems unbelievable that we have put ourselves in this position. Companies want to manufacture chips in the United States. We should dominate this industry. The federal government needs to show a little bit of incentive that they are willing to participate with the private sector in being in the chip manufacturing business. This is a $52 billion bill, the space piece of it, which is which is really a bill that is just providing a little bit of incentive to bring chip manufacturers back to the United States. And by the way, Jim, the the reality of it is the French, the German, the Japanese, the Chinese, they are incentivizing manufacturers to build chip fads in their countries because they understand how crucial this product is. They don't want to put themselves in a position that we in the United States are in right now where we're going to have
3: less than 10 percent capacity at home. Well, I'm going to leave it there, Gary. But look, I, I, I'm just so glad you came on. You know, I really just I, I, this is going to re- I mean, even right now. Senator McConnell talking about them threatening, blocking funding for chips. I, I, to me, it's beyond it, Republican, Democrat. Intel is willing to put 20 billion. But you've got to sweeten the pot. And just tell me just one. The, tell me what else I can do to, to get this thing done.
4: Jim, thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for bringing this to the forefront of people's attention. This is crucial. This is important to our success as a country. This is not a this is not a business issue. You're not standing up for business. You're standing up for everyday American citizens and how we protect ourselves and how we live our
3: lives. All right, I'll leave it there. Thank you for verifying everything and then emphasizing it even better than I ever could. That's Gary Cohn, former National Economic Council Director, Vice Chairman of IBM. He has a terrific back but most important, he is American who understands this is not just one stupid issue. It's not a bridge. It's not a tunnel. It's on, we want all those things, but what we really want is a safe country. Bad Money's back at the break. Just chill out. Is this Chill Master J? The Chill Man is in the house, he's happy. The lightning round is coming up
5: when Mad Money returns.
3: It is time for the lightning round to come what You did it, say, play some. And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Just keep that time for the lightning round. It's almost over. Brent and Colorado. Brent!
1: Chill master. As a uh, club member, I wanted to get your thoughts
3: on Cadre Holdings, C D R E. You know, it's a company that makes things, does stuff, sells a profit, gives you money back, and it does uh, a first responder equipment. And I'm going to say it's good. I like it. Let's go to Sahil in Georgia. Sahil. Booyah, Mr. Jimmy Chu. Yo, man, chillman in the House. What's happening? Yes, yeah, sir. Thanks for taking the call. I love your show. Thank you. Thank you very much. Join the club. Okay, I want join the club. I want to ask about the ticker APPS Digital Turbine. You know, I want them one. I want them one because I cannot understand why this stock continues to go down while the earnings keep going up. So let's just put a check mark, Digital Turbine. I need to go to Tyler, in South Carolina. Please, Tyler. Hey, Jim, I'm coming at you with a super boo 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 booyah from South Carolina. I think that's a very strong win, and I like like the whole sound of it. What's happening? (laughs) I just wanted to get your thoughts on Chevron, ticker symbol CVX. Uh, Okay, we own Chevron for the club. We have a hedge position. We feel the only thing that can really keep bringing this market down is oil, so we own the oils, but we did sell some Chevron. We did trim it. We had a huge gain, and I'm not going to have a big gain turn into a loss. So the idea that I can tell you to buy it, would be conflicting with the fact that we just sold some. How about Chris in Ohio, Chris? Who day, Jim? Yo, yo, what's up? The stock I'm uh, wondering
2: about is called Butterfly. I know they're not currently profitable, but I yeah. Think and, they're and, going and you know, these guys this. told
3: me over and over again, look, they got the portable, uh, you know, the, the, what, what, that ultrasound, portable ultrasound. Well, it turns out there's a lot of guys who have it, so it's really I don't want you in that stuff. Period. End of story. Let's go to Larry in Florida. Larry.
2: Hi, Jim. Hey, Larry. Jim, is uh, in a Marathon Oil, MRO, i M-R-O, I'm sorry, a buy, a sell, or a hold, okay. and Here's why? Here's the
3: problem with Marathon Oil. They are making a ton of money, and I think that the president is gonna come down on the refiners and they're gonna come down on the marathon. The quarter will be great. I'm j i am I just fear that the president has really decided that the independent refiners are to blame for a lot of our problems, which is not true by the way. Let's go to Jason in Florida. Jason. We are Jim, how Booyah. you doing? I am doing well. How about you? Good, good. Just a couple of shout outs uh, to my friend Paul Wall and my
0: girlfriend Kelly. But uh next question about I had a question about Transocean, R I T. Look,
3: I like oils, but that one's too risky, losing money. How could you lose money in this market? That's crazy. Mike in Illinois. Mike. Hey. Yo. Mr. Chill, thanks for taking my call. Chill's going to be on the attack this weekend. Watch me on Twitter. You betcha. Okay. What's up? Okay, here's what's up. Uh, it's a life science company. They own a huge position or a big position in Sartorius, that plays hob with their numbers. Depending on how the analyst looks at it, they okay. might have a three or a thirty. How's BioRad? B. Be- That's a very good Bio-Rad's a very good company. It, it's just a very good company. I mean, I I don't ever understand why it doesn't go up a lot because it's a very good company. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round.
5: The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Coming up. Kramer's got some ideas to beat the malaise of the markets. Next.
3: We simply can't figure out what people are doing. We're baffled. And that's bad for stocks. Bad for the market. Picking individual stocks is all about understanding the zeitgeist. And the whole COVID experience has really thrown us for a loop. For a while, it was ridiculously easy. We knew in lockdown that people were ordering stuff from Amazon, pizzas from Domino's, worked out on Pelotons, binge-watched Netflix, played video games. We stayed in touch with Zoom. We signed contracts with DocuSign. Finding good socks was like shooting fish in a barrel, wasn't it? Now, though, we're faced with a totally different scenario. We simply don't know where people went when the economy reopened. Sure, we heard of the Great Resignation, but what did they resign to do? Did they switch jobs? We often heard that people just retired, but many of those retirees were hoping to live off their 401ks, and after the worst first half for the market in 50 years, they may need to return to the workforce. We heard people were going out, but that seemed to fizzle heard they were traveling, and indeed, they're back going to Disney World. But Disney stock, just a couple of bucks above its 52-week lows again, says, hey, not so fast. My trust is a shareholder in Disney, and I am blown away about how horribly that stock acts. Hey, people were going on cruises, but the cruise stocks are now saying that's run its course, with Morgan Stanley saying yesterday that carnival might be a zero. Oh, man, can you imagine what the customer deposits are doing? I, it, the, the stunning decline makes me feel like the, the people who felt cooped up and wanted to see things— well, been there, done that out of money. Meanwhile, America Express has come down 50 points since April when it said things were great. Planes are all jammed, huge pilot shortage keeping them from making more money. So the stocks are acting horrendously too. So either the market's very wrong or things are about to get very bad. Now, my biggest fear at this point is not inflation, it's that we're back to July of 79 when President Jimmy Carter gave his memorable malaise speech where he explained why there was so much gloom. I'm going to quote some of this. The erosion of our confidence in the future is threatening to destroy the social and political fabric of America, end quote, too honest for his own good. Back then, they also had an energy crisis, slow economy and rampant inflation, to the point where Carter said we had, quote, growing doubt in the meaning of our own lives, end quote. There was a ton of other rueful rhetoric, and then he hit us with this roundhouse, quote, we've learned that piling up material goods Cannot fill the emptiness of lives which have no confidence or purpose. End quote. Whew, what a downer! Is that what happening? Is that happening again? When we hear that both Bed Bath and & Beyond and R H still Restoration Hardware are suffering, the low end and the high end, are, are we in Maylas? Do we have one of those situations? Are we in a Jimmy Carter melez moment? The answer to me is that J P A L and the Fed now have to be very careful not to throw us into one. We know there are still more jobs than workers, which has emboldened many people to job hop for better salaries. But if we have a hard landing, that dynamic is going to change. And a hard landing could be in the cards if oil prices won't go stay down or if we don't get other raw costs down. And it, 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 it was the energy crisis that all was the ultimate cause of Jimmy Carter's misfortunes, too. But if we don't want to go back to the late 70s, our leaders need to lead rather than shrugging their shoulders like Carter, which is what he really was doing. They should, they should do specific things that have a national purpose, like passing the CHIPS Act to rebuild American semiconductor manufacturing. They need to do something that makes us feel less pessimistic. Otherwise, I fear that the worst first half since the 1970s may find us in a situation much like the 70s, when we were huddled at home doing nothing because of a lack of confidence in everything and a belief that we are only going to be worse off in the future. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll try to find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer. See you next time. The news with Shepard Smith starts now.
2: This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you, like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you.